Well, hello. Welcome to the Hum Podcast. This is Garrett, and I'm here with Christian and Micah, and we are here to just unpack a little bit about Easter. And I, I know normally we, we're in the middle of this ongoing discussion called Church on Phonics, where we've been just talking about different words and terms that are used heavily in church and, and message settings and and, and studies, and we're kind of unpacking those terms. But today, we're going to take a little bit of a break from that. Today is the Thursday before Good Friday, and bearing that in mind, we're going to discuss a little bit about a very specific term, very specific phrase that was used by Jesus on the cross and the implications and and the power behind the phrase that was used. And, and the phrase comes from Matthew chapter 27, verse 40, 46, where Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, cries out to the Lord, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And that's Hebrew for my Lord, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we're going to unpack what that means and the powerful implications behind it. So what do you all think about that? I don't think much, to be honest with you. Hey, I'm just thankful Jesus died on the cross for my sins. True. Amen. Uh, it, yeah, you mentioned it's Maundy Thursday. Uh, what did you just say? Maundy. Maundy? Yeah. Never heard of Maundy Thursday? I have not, personally. Really? Yeah. Not heard that phrase, no. Y'all have never heard of Maundy Thursday? Mm-mm. Correct. All right, so Maundy Thursday. I, to be honest, I've never heard of Easter, so. <laughs> that is so crazy. So Maundy Thursday, um, I need to look up the exact... Like what it means, I know it's you know. Is this like like Monday without the A? Is yeah, that what you're so saying? So Monday would be M A U N D Y, okay. uh, and it's yeah. We're gonna probably get like blasted I, I, for this, but I've y'all literally might never get heard that word. For, so it means uh, if from the Latin term mandantum, which means command, and it was on the Thursday of Christ's final week before being crucified and resurrected, mm. that he said this commandment to his disciples. Uh, Jesus' and disciples had just shared what was known as the Last Supper. So, so really it's that, that day where he gave that last, this new commandment I give to you in John 13, 34, um, that you love one another. Hmm. Uh, Is that from the Latin Vulgate, that that's translated um, like that? It, I, I, do not, I actually do not know. I, just, I heard of Maundy Thursday for the first time. It was either last year or two years. Actually, it was about two years ago. Uh, well, two. that is a decent amount. It's just like you just like looked at us like we had three heads that we had oh, heard yeah. of it. Like it was something you grew up with. Well, you're like, oh, I just heard about last week. To be, <laughs> honest, no, to be honest, I thought the Christian church, um, I yeah, thought y'all like no. knew about Maundy Thursday. The only, the, I, mean, I didn't the, think it was a Baptist thing. I thought it was more that's like... That's interesting the, that well, it comes from the Latin because they, they use, it was on that Thursday. And yeah. that's not from the original text. In the original text, were in Greek, and they said um, they didn't call it a Thursday, or they didn't re- reference the day. They just said the day before his yeah. his, his the day yeah. he was handed the, over. The like nicknames that I've that I'm familiar with are Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Silent Saturday. Have you ever heard that one? We always call it uh, Holy Saturday. Okay, and then yep. Easter Sunday. I mean, those, that's like the names I've never heard of. Maundy Thursday. <laughs> Somebody told me that there's one for Wednesday now too. Uh, well, there's Ash Wednesday, but that's no. But there's days one ago like yeah. yesterday oh, okay. would have been a a special day in the okay. Holy Week, and then I said, well, I mean, it feels like for Tuesday and Monday too. I was gonna say it feels like there kind of should be, but yeah. I don't. I'm never. I, I'm sure there is, and I'm sure people's made up. But we do just kind of call it Holy Week. I mean, that's yeah. kind of like the you know Palm Sunday actually was Palm Monday. If, really, if you look at the calendar correctly, oh. it probably would have happened on a Monday. 
um, because it would have been um, oh I can't Hosanna Monday (laughs) Hosanna Tuesday let's go (laughs) it would have been (laughs) the month of Nissan the thirteenth day I think and at that time those are good cars I have one been like oh Nissan Nissan almost positive it was a Monday and a Nissan Rogue (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's I mean but yeah Jesus's calendar I don't know yeah Jesus's crucifixion resurrection is pretty cool. That was my transition. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna be sorry looking. for uh, headphone listeners. There, your uh, ears just got blasted. <laughs> we're gonna be looking, um, starting all the way back in the garden. So we're gonna kind of have a chronological history of the words that Jesus spoke on the cross. Not of, just any garden, though. Yeah, the Garden the of Eden. Garden. Yeah. Not not your grandma's garden. <laughs> I do. Just to I clear, know, yeah. there's a there's a country song, Grandma's Garden. Oh gosh, <laughs> never heard <laughs> Go that ahead, one. Keep going, Gary. <laughs> keep it going. Let's I can't keep... remember who, where that song came from, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I think anyway. it was Billy Ray Cyrus that sang, sang that. No, it was not. I don't know. Look it up. Probably Merle Haggard. So, Garden of Eden. Let's jump back into <laughs> so, the, so the yeah, past. The, these words of Jesus, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" They echo all the way back. Um, to Genesis chapter 15, or Genesis chapter 3, verse like, 15. Wow. Yeah, Genesis 3, 15. And this is right after um, Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit that was forbidden. And so in this, we got to keep in mind that up until this point, Adam and Eve had been dwelling with God. The, the presence of God was literally surrounding them, physically, spiritually, in every way, shape, and form. They walked alongside God, and and that is the exemplification of Jesus. You know, Jesus' entire life and ministry, this is the incarnate God, the glory of God wrapped up in a human body. So Jesus' life was about being with God, because he is God. And Adam and Eve, in the garden, before they fell were constantly with God, and then they desired something other than the God. They desired this fruit that God had told them not to eat, and they went after that fruit, they sought this fruit, they reached for it, and by taking it, they also took the consequences of separation from God. And, and so you, you read here um, in chapter 3, um, and chapter 3, verse 15, is what we call the Proto-Evangelium, it's the first mention of Jesus. But there is also a curse within here. Um, he curses the serpent for tempting them. And then in verse 16, he says, it says, God said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will roll over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which I commanded you, do not eat from, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. And so this it's this emphatic curse that up until this point, everything in Adam and Eve's existence was eased because the glory of God was with him. So must be nice. Think think of the, this way, you know. We don't know if Adam and Eve had children before. It's not really mentioned if they had children before the fall. But what would that have been like for them if they did? It would have been probably instantaneous. Probably no pain for you ladies listening. I mean, just imagine a no. no don't get pain jealous. Bird. Be don't get jealous. Don't yet. get jealous. But I mean, just think about it. If there was kids before. 
no pain in childbirth. Yeah. And then for the for Adam, he's specifically in this culture. The man did the work to to ensure the survival, and so he's saying, you know, you don't have to work for anything. At, before me, you didn't have to work for anything. Me it was Micah given to you. It was right there in the garden. <laughs> and now he's saying the curse is that because you're separated from me, you're cast away from my presence, and by being away from my presence everything is going to be difficult. And that mm-hmm. is the curse that fell upon humanity overall because of their desire for something other than God. So you're saying God has the ultimate green thumb? Because he was able to be a he good can gardener. Just grow crops <laughs> like it's nobody's business. Well, I mean, he grew, he grew the entire universe like up, no one's business. Yeah, yeah by got, grew, I mean created. Yeah. <laughs> he got the green voice. He just says it. The green esophagus. He just spoke. The greenest tree and it grows. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, man. Well, an uh, interesting that'd thought. be a sight to see. You know who doesn't have the green thumb? Who? I'll just say me and my wife. Uh, yeah, I would say that about me and my wife. We too. finally have one plant that has not died in a long time, uh, but we are going to give it. We're going to try to um, see if it will. We're going to do landscaping uh, here oh, in yeah. the next few weeks. And uh, we're going to try to plant stuff in our front yard. So if y'all drive by and uh, you see some dead shrubbery, <laughs> we some, might need some, some help. I'll give you a little. Isabel's <laughs> going to get mad at me for saying this. We have, oh, since gosh. we've moved moved into our house. Hey, shout out. We've had. <laughs> shout out to Isabella. On our front porch, we have probably had about 12 different plants that have died. <laughs> Isabella, we, we know it's not your fault, girl. Jenny loves plants. And she's pretty good with them. If I look at them, they die. <laughs> I mean, if I even think about touching them, they just start, start you know, falling over. <laughs> I um, don't even bother with them because I know I won't keep up yeah. with them. Neither. Jenny's like uh, encouraging, we'll use that word, yeah. me to do some landscaping stuff, mm. um, like kill some weeds and stuff like that. You should be good at that. You should, yeah, you should kill them. <laughs> oh, I can kill them, son. I just mean, a few good looks. And- like you said, you know, God has a green esophagus. He gave me like a... What what's the opposite? And God has gardening? a green esophagus. That's what what? He said green said, thumb. I said green esophagus. Oh, Did you he totally miss that? It. I didn't. Know. I <laughs> Come didn't. on, he speaks it. it, bro. You I just fall asleep. <laughs> what's the opposite of green with gardening? Uh, brown, brown and dead. Dead. Well, I have whatever color eye that makes it die because I just look eye. at it and it just dies. So I, I should be able to take care of that. Yep. Yeah. So Jenny Jenny loves loves the plants and stuff like that. I'm not good at it. So <laughs> did anyway. she talk to him? Um, we better go on. Yeah, she at night she'll put a blanket on them and and sing good night lullabies. Go to sleep. When she listens to this, she's gonna call me and be like, "Why did you say what?" You <laughs> she's like, "I'm not like that." They don't know what it's like to sit in these chairs. They do not. When you get carried on and how easy it is to get off yeah. track. Yeah. All right, well let's get back on track. Um, <laughs> so Jesus. Well, yeah. no. So we're talk. We start here at the beginning. They were cursed. They they went from literally all of creation, the garden, think of it as being the temple. Um, God's presence was there in the temple with them. Every every day they woke up in the morning, God was there. When they went to eat, God was there. When they mm. went to pick fruit, God was there. The garden of Eden was the temple. Mm. God resided with him. And when Adam and Eve desired something else, when they sinned, they fell away from God. They left God's presence. And so really, if you think about it, humanity after this point had to completely figure out how to go from not being in God's, from being in God's presence constantly to having to figure out how they can get back into God's presence. Mm. And that's where, you know, you have the the Jewish faith comes into play 
It begins with Abraham, this prophet who hears God, who follows God, and then the people of God come from Abraham, and then God is, reveals himself and the fullness of his name to Moses. And Moses then, in the book of Exodus now, um, brings God's people out of slavery, brings them into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, through Moses... God reveals himself to them, and he begins dwelling with them. And that's what the tabernacle is. The tabernacle is the portable temple. So we go from the temple of God in the Garden of Eden, being basically just living with God's presence, to the fall, where they're kicked out of God's presence, to now they have to build a portable building. You know, I think of it as like... God's living in a trailer <laughs> and going with them throughout the world. They hitch it to the donkey. Yeah. It's a real nice trailer. <laughs> real nice. <laughs> so the, the presence of God now is in this tabernacle, and and they, they take God with them everywhere they go. And so they have the presence of God again, but there's things that they have to maintain. They have to maintain purity. They have to sacrifice. They have to cleanse themselves. They have to do all these different things to make sure that they had the correct holiness because God can't be in the presence of sin. He literally can't be in the presence of sin. And so they had to cleanse themselves and, and take off the sin um, in order to do that. And that's we talked a few weeks ago about the word propitiation. And that word is uh, it means appeasing the justice of God, the, the wrath of God, so that you can be in his presence. And so a sacrifice is a form of propitiation. You sacrifice something to appease God's wrath, to say, I'm unholy, I've messed up, here's my sacrifice. I'm placing that unholiness on something else. Right, because of sin, something has to die. Yes, something has to die. I'm putting it on something else in order to appease the wrath that is brought upon me, okay, so that they could be in the presence of God. There's another term, though, that, that you know, propitiation is a vertical term. Um, think of it this way. Propitiation is between us and God, and it is where we appease God. There's another term called expitiation, and it's not hardly ever used, so it, it wouldn't be a Church on Phonics series because oh, snap. I, I had never sounds heard like this the, term. It sounds like the name of an indoor football team. Like an arena. Yeah, the arena football team. <laughs> it low-key kind of does. Like, arena, uh, who would it be? The expitiation uh, Oxens. Uh, like, uh, what's a city that would go along with that? Uh, Buffalo Expitiations. I would probably go with... I'm thinking um, of like an E. We're Vancouver. Vancouver Expitiation. <laughs> That's pretty good. The Canadian Football League. <laughs> Vancouver Expitiation. Hey. Take our idea, Vancouver. What were the logo? Expitiations, right, well, eh? We could do that, yeah. We could do this all day, so go ahead. <laughs> so expitiation is more horizontal. It's saying, I cannot be in the presence of God because I bear the curse. And so before you could come into the presence of God, you have to realize that you've been cursed and kicked out of the presence of God. So it's not about appeasing God's wrath. It's about appeasing, or it's it's about... Um, <clears throat> reconciling the curse that is upon you. Um, so all of humanity has this curse that we have been cast out of God's presence. And if you look at Leviticus, um, there's all sorts of times where some, there is sin, there's uncleanliness, and what do they do? They say, God says, put it outside the camp. 
So the camp is the surrounding area around the tabernacle. So there was the tabernacle, there were the courts of where they would sacrifice the animals for the tabernacle, and then there was another tent where that was outside the tabernacle, and then all the other tents that people lived in were around that tent, and then you had the outside the camp. Mm -hmm. And God is saying, if you can't be in my presence, if you're unholy, you're, you're cursed, you have to go outside the camp. You have to have, um, you have to make sure that um, things can be set right before you're back in my presence because you have this curse upon you. And so they would send people outside the camp. An example of this is from the book of Numbers. I know I said Leviticus. Leviticus talks about all of this, but Numbers shows an example for it. So Miriam and Aaron. These Miriam is um, um, Mo- Moses's sister. sister. Aaron is Moses's brother, and the three of them kind of led Israel. And in the wilderness, Miriam and Aaron kind of went behind Moses' back slightly and went behind um, God, essentially, to do so. And as such, Moses, God was going to um, essentially kill Miriam, but Moses pleaded on her behalf. It says... The cloud moved away from the tent. Miriam's skin became diseased, resembling snow. When Aaron turned toward her, he saw that she was diseased and said to Moses, My Lord, please don't hold this against us, this sin we have so foolishly committed. So God has cursed Miriam with this disease. Um, he has cursed her. The, the curse of leprosy has fallen upon her. And then Miriam looks at Moses and says, Don't hold this against me. I've committed this foolishly. Don't let this curse come upon me. Um, and then it says in verse 13, Moses cried out to the Lord, God, please heal her. And then it says, the Lord answered Moses, if her father had merely spit in her face, wouldn't she remain in disgrace for seven days? Let her be confined outside the camp for seven days. After that, she may be brought back in. Okay, so that reference there, if her father had spit in her face, um, it's just kind of a reference to societal norms where if you are um, disciplined by your father, you basically can't, you have to hide from him essentially. And so what God is saying is, I'm disciplining her. This curse is upon her because of her mistakes. She literally can't be in my presence because of her mistakes. She is cursed. Cast her outside the tent. Cast her outside the camp. Don't let her come near you. Mm. Um, that is what the curse is. She can't withstand my presence. Don't let her even come near the rest of you. Um, that's the curse that has fallen upon humanity as a whole. And that curse is still there within Israel, even when they're taught how to sanctify themselves through propitiation so they can be in God's presence. That curse is still evident because when they do mess up, they're kicked out of outside the camp. They, they have to bear this curse. That's part of the fact that we realize that even in our knowledge of how we can reach God, we're still incapable of reaching God because we have this curse upon us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we come to Jesus. And I've always struggled with, with this passage. Have you all kind of struggled with this passage um, that Jesus, he's on the cross <clears throat> and he's about to die. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you 
left me. Yeah, I always thought, I've thought about it a lot. You know, like, I always like, what does forsaken mean? Mm-hmm. You know, what is it? You know, like, I, I know, for me, the hardest part of it is I know Jesus is 100% God, but also 100% man. But at the same time, how does God forsake his own son, which is in reality himself? Yeah. Uh, and that's that's probably my biggest, and it, it, every it, time it, I think about it. Yeah, it's always confused me because, you know, God told him to do this. Is is God forsaking him? Jesus misinterpreting? Is is God forsaking him saying God isn't there and all this? You know, I've always struggled with Jesus's realization that God had forsaken him. Um and general scholarship on this is that when Jesus cries this out, he's referencing Psalm 22, which in that case Psalm 22 is is David writing a uh, a messianic prophecy that is in reference to um, what is f- Jesus is fulfilling here, that even when God forsakes you, he's still there with you. Um, and that Jesus, as he's breathing his final breaths, he makes sure that he is letting everyone know, I'm fulfilling prophecy. And, you know, that sounds good. That's theologically sound. You can reference that biblically. And it's quite possible that that's what Jesus was trying to do, but I don't know if you're hanging up in anguish and utter pain, are you going to be able to think, okay, I got to say this word so everyone knows that I'm fulfilling prophecy. I mean, this is Jesus, so maybe, but at the same time, this is the most excruciating pain ever. I don't know that he's going to be sitting up there thinking, I got to make sure that the thesis of this entire thing is made known to everyone. I think what he's crying out here is purely emotional, purely a realization, a spiritual realization that he's saying, God, where are you? You're, you're gone. You've left me. I no longer feel your presence. Remember, this is God in human form. Jesus has lived his entire life with the glory of God within him. He's never lived his life without God being next to him. He's like Adam and Eve before the point of the fall. God has always been there with him. And now he's saying, God, you're gone. And by saying that, he's saying, God, I'm cursed. And so I think we miss the point that Jesus isn't making a a grand proclamation that now I have fulfilled this prophecy. He's saying, no, now I have fulfilled the curse that was on you. You all were kicked outside the camp. You all were kicked outside the garden. You all were kicked outside God's presence. Now I am too. So even though I'm God, I'm still cursed. And I have no idea where God is. And I am abandoned and forsaken. And I know what it's like to be in the absence of God. And so the question is here that I pondered then and this was, I was thinking about this today, and for those of you who are listening, we had this plan to be doing holiness on our Church on Phonics series, and I just had this, I was listening to a podcast um, from an R.C. Sproul sermon, and I just had this, as I was listening, I had this overwhelming movement within me of how important this passage is, and it made me think, you know, we we talk about Jesus in his death going down into the depths of hell and conquering death, but there's not really any major reference to that biblically, but I think this is it, because hell is the absence of God's presence. 
Jesus here is saying, I'm taking on the absence of God's presence. I feel the absence of God's presence. And think about that from his perspective. What would it have been like to go from literally being the presence of God to having the glory of God within you to now I'm in the depths of hell because God is nowhere to be found? All right, can I ask a crazy question? Yeah. So how would um how how would how can God be away from God? Well, that here's yeah. So here here's a I'll, I'll answer or ask that I'll answer <clears throat> that by asking another question. Is it possible for God to love if the Trinity isn't real? Is it possible for God for to God love? to be fully love if the Trinity isn't real? If the Trinity isn't real. If it's just a monotheistic God instead of a tritheistic God, triune God, is it possible for a monotheistic to be fully love? Um, I think probably what we see in the Trinity is there's a relationship within the Trinity. Mm -hmm. So God himself is love because his nature yes, is just exactly. so it would be hard to, ha- to have it's a not it's not possible yeah. for a simply monotheistic god to be all-encompassing love yeah it's not possible with that in mind jesus and god are one you know the son the father the spirit are all in tune with one another but they're three persons so it's possible for the father and the spirit to be separated from the son they're all connected. They're all joined together in love. It's not possible. It's not possible for the Trinity to not exist, right. or else God wouldn't all be fully loved. Persons, but too. they're all distinct persons. Right. So it is possible for the Son to be absent from the presence of the Father, okay, to be yeah. absent from the presence of the Spirit. But think about it. That's never happened before. Up until this point, his entire existence is: I am fully love. Because I fully love the Father, and I fully love the Spirit, and mm. the Spirit fully loves me, and the mm. Father fully loves me. And now, he's going from experiencing this in infinite ways through all of eternity to getting that ripped away from him as he takes on the curse of humanity. That's the implications that this passage has. That Jesus isn't just saying, I'm, a, I'm going to bear the guilt of your sin. I'm going to take on your sin. But he literally becomes the curse. Mm-hmm. He becomes the separation of God. He who was eternally the love of God and the glory of God and the presence of God has now become the separation of God, the curse of God. And I never really thought about it, but it, it talks about in the garden, Jesus was in such anguish before before he was delivered um, by Judas, he was in such, such such anguish as he was praying that he was bleeding drops of blood. And I think it's because he knew what was going to happen. He knew the only way that he could redeem humanity, that he could be a propitiation for humanity, was that he became the expitiation of humanity, was that he became the curse. And he knew what was going to happen, and that was why he was afraid. Because he's eternally been the love and glory of God, and now he's being he's going to have to become the separation from God. Mm -hmm. And quite literally, the Father and the Spirit look down at the Son and say, we damn you. That's what God essentially does to the Son. 
you know, that's, you know, you, that literally, I mean, it's not the cuss word there. It's the, oh, I have, the cuss word. I oh, have separated you from me. I'm going to tell your mama. <laughs> well, she listens, so she heard it. Busted. I just think we miss the power of that because we simply think we focus on, um, we focus on the universal love. We focus on the unconditional love of God, and we miss the fact that Jesus took on the curse that we have. Now, and if we only focus on the fact that Jesus loved us so much that He was willing to die for us, we miss the fact that no, He also had to take on the ultimate separation and curse that we have upon us in order to do that, and so. We cheapen that if we say, "Well, God just loves us so much; He doesn't care what we do because He died for us." Uh, let me. I'll read Galatians three thirteen. Um, going along with this, uh, Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says, "Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse yeah. for us." And then he references the Old Testament. I think it's in Deuteronomy. Um, he says, "For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged." On yep. a tree. So this was foreshadowed. Deuteron- that, that's from, De- yeah. Yep. So this was foreshadowed that Christ was going to be that mm-hmm. curse for us way before, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ was born to Mary. Uh, this uh, was foreshadowed. And, and Paul echoes it once again after the resurrection um, that Christ redeemed us and he, by the law, by becoming a curse for us. So Paul, mm. he acknowledges that. And he yeah. says Christ did become um, that curse that for curse. us on the tree so, or yeah. on the cross. And I think this is so significant because of the implications of what hell is. We define hell, or at least I define hell, as the complete absence of God's presence. And it, it, I hate the way that pop culture has completely shifted the way we view um, hell and uh, Satan and demons because it's like normalize it. It's like, oh... It's you know, like there's that saying life, now: yeah. better to reign in hell than to be a servant in heaven. Yeah. Better to oh my gosh, I, I, oh it's but <laughs> th- we have this idea that hell is just a place where you know it's a little bit hotter than everywhere else, or you know there's it's just not quite as good as heaven. Or it's just a place where bad people go and hang out. Yeah, you know it's almost like a bar that's <laughs> a little hot. And I, that misses completely the point. Um, C.S. Lewis describes hell as the inability to be in the fullness of what God intends eternity to be. That if you don't have the Spirit of God within you, then you still have the curse within you. That if you have refused to let the curse that Jesus took on cover you, then you still have that curse, and thereby you are banned from his presence. And when that happens, you literally can't stand his presence. It would be painful for you. It would be eternal suffering for you if you were in heaven. So instead of having eternal suffering in heaven, you have eternal abandonment and suffering in hell. And Jesus felt that. God, who has constantly been the glory and presence of God, is now the absence of God. He experienced hell and conquered that by rising from the dead. And I think we, we so often cheapen that by just not realizing it. Yeah, hell is a 
hard concept, and it's hard. You know, some people argue, you know, was was Jesus in hell? Mm. Uh, sometimes it's hard because, but I think that's where we miss the point. I don't think hell is necessarily a place as much as it is just this abstract absence from God. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think as a Christian too, like what I think of hell, you know, just because I have a relationship with God now, like if from any moment I thought God was not on my side anymore, that would be a living hell for me. Like, mm. it, and I'm just talking about on this earth, like uh, just in general. Like, if I thought God was not with me in a moment. Uh, and sometimes you feel those where you feel like abandoned from God. Yeah, that is a living hell for me here on Earth when I feel like, oh, God's not on my side, and I know He is. Um, but I've had those moments where it feels like, oh, God's not with me, and I feel miserable uh, or or fearful yeah. or afraid in those moments. And see, I I'm fearful for Christians in the church today. It the in Judges in the book of Judges it talks about Samson who had Samson who had the spirit of God upon Sam him and you yeah Samson <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm wanting something to eat. Um, Samson had the spirit of God upon him he had the super strength he was able to kill thousands of people with a jawbone of a donkey and then when the spirit of God left him he didn't even realize it because he was so just unconcerned with the Spirit of God, with the presence of God, that he didn't realize when he left. And that's what I'm afraid for. God, Jesus was in such anguish leading up to knowing that he was going to lose the presence of God, that he was bleeding sweat. And yet there's others of us who don't even realize when the presence of God leaves us. And we're quite literally in a living hell. Yeah. Uh, You know, yeah, it's interesting. And I was talking about you know, did Jesus go to hell? Uh, and, you, you know, we're talking about, like, it's abstract, you know, because also we look at at the crucifixion. What did he tell that robber? I think he's on his left side. Yeah. Um, You'll be with me in paradise mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that's also hard to, to translate. Um, you know, maybe he was forsaken in that moment. Uh, yeah. I don't know the extent, and I think time is something that— It's irrelevant when yeah, we can think about. eternity, yeah. So, um, but, yeah, just knowing that— Still, at the same time, Jesus said, I'm going to be with you in paradise. Uh, how far can, can we go that? I don't know the answers. Um, but Well, when he says it. that, was he separated from God yet? Uh, I do not know. I'd have to go look at the order of it. Because then, then maybe what he's saying is, you'll be with me, talking about the Father in paradise today, even and, yeah, though that could Jesus, be true too. as the Son, won't be there yet. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll be there soon. Moments. You just, uh, yeah. I don't you, know. You wait there. All I, all I want to know is why Isabella is still sacrificing plants, even <laughs> though we've already had the propitiation of Jesus. <laughs> um, she gonna kill Garrett on this podcast because you, know, you know you're talking about earlier. You know there had to be sacrifice for sin. I don't. I just you, know, you don't have to sacrifice you know plants anymore. It's okay. Do y'all have rituals for your plants? Like, <laughs> or, or is it just accidentally happen? <laughs> I mean, is this something like? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's <laughs> neglect. <laughs> That's what. It, that's what it is. We have just Isabella, if you're listening, just realize Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected for your sins. <laughs> so you don't have to so sacrifice plants. So you don't plants. have to sacrifice plants. <laughs> it's okay. Christ has done that. Let those plants live. <laughs> I, I think the good takeaway from this too is I, I know it's a lot of deep stuff today and maybe deeper than you wanted to get on a Monday Thursday. Uh, <laughs> I keep thinking of Monty Python. I oh, Monty Python's the worst. I just keep thinking you're saying like Monday, like Monday with like a weird, oh, yeah. like an odd Monday. accent. Like Mon- Gandhi Monday. with an M. <laughs> what are you doing? Wait, first Monday? of all, you said Monty Python's what? 
I just keep thinking Trash. when he says Monty. I tried to watch Monty Python and I just couldn't. Well, here's the thing. I'm, you, in, charge you don't, of, I'm in charge of the mic. So I'll just, <laughs> I'll just turn your mic off. My buddies, they get on to me too. You right, can't so watch good. Monty Python with a, I'm about to watch a serious movie. I, no, I went in with the goop. They told me it was going to be, and I'm like, I'm Napoleon Dynamite. Like, I Bro, love that, goopy that movie's stuff. Lit. Uh, Ricky Bobby. Like, I'm all about that. But Monty vote, Python, vote I just. For Pedro. I, I don't think, I don't, I don't like medieval times. So I don't uh. think, I just couldn't. I'm glad I wasn't born in the medieval times, is what I'm saying. I mean, the opening scene, the opening scene when he's got those coconuts and they're on fake horseback riding. I mean, that is like one of the classic scenes. From that point on, though, it went downhill. That Bro, was like and they're, that they're was like, the top of the movie. Didn't like the knights who say neat, <laughs> or the the knight that kept getting his arms. But you cut say off. shrubbery, and they freak out. But then they go up to that castle, and they're like. Trying to hit it with a sword and like trying to break in, but they're just like hitting a stone wall with swords and like kicking it. And you're I, just like, I don't even think I made it that far. That's the beginning scene, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> or, oh, um, no, I did watch the beginning, I just don't remember that part. Yeah, you blocked it out clearly. Um, I don't know, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, you said deep for a Monday Thursday. I was like, how did we get to Monty Python? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the rabbit trails, uh, you tend to lose your way you as go you go way down. Yeah, um, but we needed to, to break it up away from the seriousness. Yeah. It's, uh, um, that's good, good but stuff. let me just say, you know, when when we are so thankful that Jesus became that curse for us, uh, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and we need to think, because of what Jesus did for us, uh, we don't have to, as Christians, if we've put our trust in Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about being forsaken. Mm. Uh, you know, God says, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake mm. you. Uh, and, and the reason of that is because of what Christ has done for us but there's also the conditional statement of that of committing to him and i think that i was listening to this sermon by rc sproul who where i kind of got this all from and he was really adamant about it where he says we need to defrock ministers who preach on the unconditional love of god before talking about the curse that is upon humanity because when you preach on the unconditional love of god without focusing on the curse that is upon us then you cheapen the fact that jesus took on that curse and we just assume well he loves us so he died which means now i can't die even if i do whatever i want but in reality we have to realize that jesus took on that which was completely against his nature And by just simply saying, now I can do whatever we want, that cheapens his love. He is fully love. He does fully love us. But humanity is in a, nat- is in a perpetual and instinctive state of separation from God. And unless we say, I want to be a part of God's presence, I want to be a part of sanctification, I want to be a part of Christ within me, then we're not going to be able to continually stay or be in his presence and without being in his presence we fall naturally back into the curse of his absence right um and that's you know that's the power behind us and and that's what the author of hebrews all right so i just want to close with this um hebrews 13 is talking about um remaining in the presence of god and worship and continually and it says therefore jesus also suffered outside the gate and that's in reference to the curse that's in reference to him taking on the curse that was upon us he says so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood let us then go out to him 
outside the camp bearing his disgrace. So he, the author is saying, Jesus took on the curse for us. He sanctified us by taking on the curse that would, made it impossible for us to be sanctified. So now we have to keep going to him. That doesn't mean we just say, oh, we're good now, I can do what I want. It means we say he sanctified us so that we can go and stay with him. And that's that's the importance that we need to keep in mind. Um, through a lie, lie, Lamar, Sabachthani. Say that seven times. What'd you just call me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, we're so thankful that you joined us on, maybe you're listening on Good Friday. Maybe on maybe on Maundy Thursday. Maybe on Maundy <laughs> Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe on Saturday. <laughs> hey, maybe you're listening to this on the Fourth of July. You know, this can, uh, but what we you're, hope is you're a few months behind. Yeah, you might fine. be a few months behind. There's a okay. bunch of people here recently have said, "Oh, I started listening to your podcast, and I just went all the way back to the beginning." And I thought, "Oh boy, what, yeah. what, what episode is this?" Forty-three. Forty-three. So we're getting close to fifty-two. It's not. It wouldn't have been a year. A year will be. Not too far, because we skipped a couple weeks here and there. But uh, but w- and if you're listening, we're going to meet up soon. We've talked, uh, and we're going to get a good schedule for how we're going to do things in the future, especially for the summer coming up. So uh, we got some exciting things coming for the Hum podcast. Can I give a Hum moment? Do we have time no. for that? Uh, this, this Ain't is, nobody got time for that. Hey, this is a really weird Hum moment. All right, so I was reading. Have y'all been to Yellowstone? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen Yellowstones. I was at Yellowstone when I was a little baby. Oh, National Park. Yeah, the National no, Park. No, have not. You so, just went last year, right? Yeah, we went last July. Word. Uh, it was one of the best trips of my life. But I was re- this actually just popped up on like Google in the news section. Well, we're going on a trip soon. That'll be the best trip of your life. Where are we going? Remember? We'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> Surprise. That conference. Oh, the conference. Yes, yeah. we're going to a conference going. together. Garrett could go, but he's not a no, youth No, he's not a youth minister. <laughs> he, he no longer gets to do the fun things. Sad face. <laughs> but, all right, so this is crazy. You have to preach on Sundays and visit people. So That's true. Yeah. We yeah. get to play games. And you got to pray a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still get I to get play games. get to pray a lot. Yeah, get, get. Yeah. That was the joke, was I was saying you have to, even though it's a get to. Anyway, go ahead and say your home. <laughs> so... In Yellowstone, Yellowstone actually takes up, it's in three different states, um, more so in Wyoming, parts of Montana, and then parts of Idaho. Um, I get Idaho and Iowa confused. <laughs> I can't remember which one. I'm pretty sure Idaho has the potatoes. Okay. It still doesn't help. But <laughs> it's, it's like the long. Idaho has the weird, weird like, shape. Whichever yeah, one's closest yeah. to Wyoming. It has a weird panhandle. Idaho kind of looks like a throne. If you're looking at the profile of a throne. All right, so listen to this. This is an article by USA Today. They were talking about, like, the laws in this national park because it's in three different states. Like, Mm -hmm. if how does the jury work? If the jury has to be from the same state, yada, yada. They said this. It is true that there is an area around 50 square miles. Oh, it is Idaho. There is an area around 50 square miles in the Idaho portion of Yellowstone National Park where a crime such as murder, could theoretically escape conviction. So I, I, I don't know how true... Feels like um, that'll change now that that's publicized. Yeah, I read through the article, but like, I guess theoretically, because <laughs> it's in three different states, and you know, how so, do you determine uh, who's going to be on the jury? And, Garrett, you trying to go to the Idaho portion of yeah, Yellowstone so, with me? Yeah, or? if anybody ever asks you to go to the Idaho portion of Yellowstone... Say no. Yeah, just say no. I'm game for the Wyoming portion. <laughs> yeah, Wyoming part's great. Idaho? Hmm... There's a chance they could get away with murders, so especially. So, Gary, um, are you trying to go? <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll pay your way. That's a little sketchy. Yeah, true. 
All right, cool. Well, I was in Yellowstone once, and I saw a porta potty. I thought you when said was it was little. in your. Oh, okay. And I have a picture of me s- staring at a porta potty. The only part. Maybe someone was murdered in that porta potty. Do you wa- know? There was a wax figure sitting in the porta potty, and I was just staring at it like That's I was creepy. so confused. It was a weird. So picture. low key, that was the auto portion, and someone got murdered. <laughs> it was a real person, but they looked wax. Is that also the same area where the Bermuda Triangle is, where people um, disappear? It's actually not. Okay. Atlantic Just making Ocean. sure. Just making sure. <laughs> but it could, they could, the Bermuda octagon could be there. <laughs> we don't right, know. Well, let's wrap up here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for uh, listening on the Hub Podcast. Uh, let us know uh, if you like the podcast by reviewing um, through Apple or Spotify. And when you leave us a review, let us know some things that you want to hear about. Uh, we love, as Christian was talking about, we're going to be making some some plans and, and uh, making some decisions uh, of what we're going to be discussing in the coming weeks and months. So let us know what you would like to hear about. And maybe, just maybe, you'll make the podcast and your topic might as well. So thanks for listening here. Uh, let me close this in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we just uh, thank you for um, sending Jesus to be the curse, God, to be the curse um, for us, God, to take on that curse for us so that we um, could be reunited with you. Uh, Lord, let us not forget uh, that you are love, but you also um, showed us through the sacrifice of Jesus, through um, condemning him to the curse that we live. God uh, did that so that we could be saved from that curse. Lord, we are so thankful. We're so uh, um, just blessed by that truth. Lord, let us live Uh, In light of that truth, let us understand that truth and let us um, follow after you, Lord, uh, each and every day with renewed mercies that you give us and help us to reach out to those around us. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.